So you're driving in your car, as you might do every morning, and you're already in a bad mood because you're a little late getting out of your house, you woke up a little later than normally do, and so therefore you're a bit grumpy because now you've hit peak hour traffic and you're stuck on military road in this moment and you're frustrated because you're going to be late for work or late for coffee or late for whatever it might be. And then the traffic, as it's been sitting standstill for quite some time, begins to move. A gap opens up in front of you, and you're like, sweet, finally we're moving. And all of a sudden, someone decides to cut in and take that gap from you. No indicator, no thought about you and what you've been suffering over the last couple of minutes. They just come in and take it in from you. And you just let loose. You get angry. You say, how dare you through the windscreen as they can't even hear you. But you say, how, what are you doing? You give all these hand gestures to them going, what are you, what's going on? Why are you doing this? And so you are frustrated. You are angry. You might even beep on the horn for a whole solid 10 seconds or so. Beep! To let them know that you are frustrated. You are angry. How dare they take that spot in front of you? You've been waiting for that spot for at least three or four minutes. How dare they take that from you without even indicating as well? Is that experience familiar to anyone here tonight? It's familiar to me, I know that for sure. Whenever something doesn't go the way we expect or we don't get what we want or what we deserve, or if we feel offended or wronged that injustice has been done to us, it seems like the most natural and immediate response in our world today is to get angry. And there are so many things in our world to get angry about. We recognize that something has happened to us in our life, something that should not have happened, or that perhaps that's the way we perceive it, and it seems like all we can do in that moment to show the seriousness and the gravity of what is done wrong to us is get angry. And there are stacks of things we can get angry at. Things like racial inequality, traffic on military road, the state of our climate, the poor service we receive at Target, the umpire's call that goes against us, slow internet, Slow internet angers me. The bad service we receive at the restaurant, the things politicians say, the stuff that athletes post on Instagram, seeing what celebrities spend their money on or name their children. My delivery order going to 8-3 Tower Street instead of 3-8 where I actually live and I have to run outside in my track pants, no shoes, no socks, sometimes bare chests, sometimes with a t-shirt on, to try and run after the delivery guy to get my order. It says on the receipt, three slash eight, what are you doing? Honestly, there's so many things we can get angry at in our world today. As I've just said, things that are of small significance and things of in incredible significance. Anger is a strange feeling, isn't it? Because it can certainly upset us. We're definitely upset when we're angry because something wrong has happened to us. And yet when we're able to express that anger against those we're angry at, we begin to feel justified. When we write an angry post about a particular person on Facebook or a particular group or idea, and all the likes and the comments begin coming in in support of us, we begin to feel like we're in the right. 
This is good. It can, it can feel really good, especially when we're exposing the other person's foolishness and carelessness and stupidity, which we are, of course, not. And when this is backed up by those likes, by those comments, it can even feel fun. It can feel really fun to get angry and to expose other people's flaws and make us look really good. Frederick Buchner in his book, Wishful Thinking, says, Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it's a feast fit for a king. Anger is this complex emotion because it's a response to a world gone awry, something that should not have happened, or at least we think shouldn't have happened, that requires justice to be done. But where it goes wrong, where it becomes a feast of delighting to see others destroyed and injured, no matter what the cost might be. It's a, it can end up being a feast that hides under the guise of justice when in fact it seeks to do the exact opposite and result in a greater injustice done. All it cares about is justifying the self. As long as you feel satisfied, as long as you feel good, it doesn't matter what the consequences are for the other person, the damage done to the other party. And so this evening, I want to look at what is our anger, good or bad expressions of it, rooted in and aimed at. In other words, what is it defending? What is it seeking to protect that could be potentially lost? And I want to suggest up front that our anger reveals what we love. In other words, our anger is rooted and aimed at protecting our loves. And depending on the priority of those loves, our anger can be channeled for good or be a force of evil. And so we need to be sure that what we love is truly good. We need to get what we love right. Otherwise, we'll become angry people, if we aren't already, who can't help but see the world through angry eyes, full of bitterness, full of resentment, full of spite for particular people in their life. It might seem satisfying to be angry in the moment, self-justifying. But as Bushner says, to finish his quote, the chief drawback is, is that you are wolfing down yourself. The skeleton of the feast is you. How can we retrieve anger? from being this deadly vice to putting it in its proper place as a response to injustice and the pursuit of the good. We need to get what we love right. And that's what we're going to drill down on this evening. We need to get what we love right. Our anger arises when what we love is threatened. Take away a child's Xbox or a PS4 and you'll know pretty quickly how much they love that console. They'll throw a tantrum the moment it's taken away from them. When we challenge someone's opinion or decision or critique or point of view, they may get angry at us because we're threatening the sense of worth and honour when it comes to being right. 
So when we see children getting angry and out of control because they lost their console, or people uh, becoming snappy or unfairly guarded or critical when we challenge them, it's because whether or not they realize it, what they love is being threatened in that moment. And the unjust response of a child's tantrum or an adult's anger reveals that they have a disordered love. That is, it's not entirely pure. It's mixed in with other motives, a selfishness that might compromise an appropriate response to being challenged or having their console taken away. And it has the potential to express itself in an ugly and evil way. Star Wars, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Anakin Skywalker in the first episode was a young, foolish little boy, and now he's grown up to a brooding, arrogant teenager who is just grumpy all the time. He keeps having dreams about his mum, Shmi Skywalker, being taken into captivity in a, in a sand people camp on Tatooine. And he, he, the dream, in the dream, his mum is crying out to Anakin to save him. That's the context, just in case you don't watch Star Wars. And so he decides, after having this dream multiple times, he decides to go to Tatooine to find out what's going on. And sure enough, he finds his mum in a camp, bound and heavily wounded. He unbounds her and holds her in his arms. And before she can say, I love you, she dies. And moved by anger, but also love, he goes out of the little camp, he begins slaughtering the guards, and then he begins slaughtering everyone in the whole camp, men and women and children. In Genesis 34, Jacob's daughter, Dinah, is taken by a man named Shechem, who then goes on to rape her, committing a terrible and horrific crime, and then having the audacity to go back and ask for a hand in marriage. When Jacob's sons find out what had happened, they are furious and rightly so. They are angry because they have great love for their sister and how dare this man do what he did to her. And so driven by anger, they hatch a plan to get revenge. They deceive Shechem and every man in his city into thinking they're okay with him taking his, their sister's hand in marriage. As long as they get circumcised, knowing full well they won't be able to look after themselves or defend themselves when they are recovering from being circumcised. And sure enough, Shechem agrees to those terms. And after a few days, we read, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon their dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and came out in the fields. They carried off their wealth and all the women and children, taking as a plunder everything in the houses. In both situations... They repaid one horrific crime for another, one that was more horrific. Their actions, though driven by anger, were rooted and aimed in protecting their loves. Anakin, his love for his mum, 
and Levi and Simeon, their love for their sister. But their love was disordered and therefore it resulted in more injustice. When our anger is rooted in disordered love, the way it goes about protecting and defending what it loves goes awry. Our motivation for justice is mixed in with this desire for vengeance and revenge. We end up being led by our anger more than a pure pursuit for justice, and we become blind to the unjust response that we are giving in that moment. And so when we negate justice, the love of justice, and the love of what is truly and objectively good, we end up elevating what we love to a higher status than it ought to be. Family, our friends, our possessions, cars, homes, clothing, instruments, surfboards, our identity, our sense of dignity, when we elevate these things above what is truly and objectively good, the result is when these things are threatened, we can respond in a way that can bring about more injustice and damage to other people. A worse crime done to the one, the one done to us. When someone makes a little scratch on your car, or bumps into the back of you at the lights, and you blow up. You get out of your car, and you blow up, and you accuse them of being the worst drivers ever. When someone talks over you in the meeting, or you feel like you weren't heard, and you leave that meeting seething with anger, telling your friends how much you feel anger towards this person, backbiting, gossiping, backstabbing them for what they've done. We're in the queue at the bank, or in a retail shop, and someone cuts in on you, and your anger just boils over to the point where you're murmuring under your breath, you're angry at them, you're giving them menacing glares to show that what they've done is wrong and how dare they cut in front of you. When someone close to you has hurt you so profoundly that you just hold on to that anger and that bitterness because they don't deserve grace or mercy. It's better that you remain angry against them for what they've done. When someone damages your surfboard in the surf, even when they are saying sorry to you, you still give them an earful and hope they will go in, telling them that you are frustrated and angry that it shouldn't have happened in the surf. Just in case you're wondering, not my finest moment. In these moments... An apparent injustice has occurred, and perhaps a legitimate one. But our overreaction, our response may reveal that we have placed the things we love in our life as higher goods over and above justice and what is truly good. And the result is that we do a greater injustice than the one done to us. And we do it to satisfy ourselves. As long as we leave feeling justified, as long as we feel like we're in the right, it doesn't matter what damage we do to the other person, to the other party involved. As long as we feel good. And what's frightening, what's scary, is that we don't even see that what we're doing is unjust. Anger dupes our reasoning and we think that what we're doing is right and good when in fact it's doing great damage. Rebecca de Young, a theologian, has a great book on the vices, which I recommend as reading if you want to 
following this series says this, when wrath becomes a habit, we learn to see the world through angry eyes, laden with an excessive sense of our entitlements. We let anger direct reasons, vision, and judgment rather than the other way round. Anger takes aim and is rooted in what we love. But if we don't get what we love right, it becomes disordered, mixed in with a desire for vengeance and revenge, and then our anger turns ugly. So we need to get what we love right. But how do we do that? The characteristics of ugly anger is that it's self-seeking in its pursuit for justice and that it acts too quickly, immediately, without any recourse to reason or thinking about a just outcome. And so firstly, instead of being self-seeking, anger must be rooted and aimed in a genuine love for other people and a love for justice and mercy. Micah 6 reminds us that it says, And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? We are to be a people filled with compassion who love justice and mercy as well. And we should love other people, not just others in general, but Jesus says that we ought to love our enemies also. Luke 6, he says, Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. In our reading tonight from Romans 12, we're encouraged to overcome evil, not with more evil, but with good. Now this isn't to say that we won't ever be angry, but the person who Aim, whose love is aimed at loving other people, not just their self, who can do what Jesus says as love your neighbor as yourself. Their love and their anger is aimed at seeking a greater good and a greater justice that can be achieved through love and grace that our anger simply can't achieve. Because there was a time, right, when we were all deserving of God's anger and God's wrath. In Romans, it talks about how whilst we were still sinners, whilst we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. If there's anyone who can rightly pour out his anger and his wrath upon us, is God himself. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to show grace and mercy and make things right by sending his son to die for us so we can enjoy a relationship with him. You see, his vision, he saw a greater good, a greater justice to be done than just simply being angry. And like that, because we are people who live by the power of God's Spirit, we too ought to be able to see a greater good that can be achieved, a greater justice that we can achieve through sharing, showing love and grace and not responding in anger and hate. That's the first thing. The second thing is that instead of acting too quickly or immediately, rushing headlong, duping our reason, our anger is to be kept at bay by the practice of self-possession. That is the practicing of holding back our anger and taking the wrong course of action. In other words, is to be slow to get angry, quick to listen, as James would put it seeking to understand everything that's going on before making a, a decision to make a course of action. We see the exact opposite thing in Genesis 34. 
with, with dire consequences. After the brothers come back, their father Jacob laments to them and says, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites and the Perizzites, my numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. They failed to see the consequences of what they had done because they rushed headlong following anger's counsel. Their violent reaction would now have the potential to spark a retaliation with all other tribes and people groups around them. All that war could break out. And not only that, who would want to deal with Jacob and his sons anymore? Who would want to trade with them, do business with them after finding out that they are both deceptive and violent and kill everyone. They didn't think. They were led by anger's counsel. And it led to this situation. How many of us have looked back on a moment of an angry outburst and regretted it? In the moment, we thought we were in the right. In the moment, we thought this is the right course of action because all we cared about in the moment was that we get what's right for us. We get what's justified and owed to us. But after the anger has left us, settled down a bit, we look back on that outburst and we think, that was wrong. That did more damage than good. Now I've got to pick up the pieces. We ought to abound in love for other people and be slow to expressing our anger even towards our enemies for the purpose that we don't end up pursuing the wrong course of action. We don't end up regretting our decisions when we do them in anger. Instead of acting in haste, we are to follow the example of God himself, the one we worship, who in Psalm 103 verse 8 says, is slow to anger, and abounding in love. Slow to anger, abounding in love. That is the practice of self-possession. And this love and this self-possession is ultimately rooted in the deep and abiding trust in God, who, as we read in Romans 12 again, says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The temptation to take matters into our own hands is great when it comes to those people we love who are dear to us. Or it's great when we feel ourselves are threatened and we feel a great harm has been done to us. We just want to explode and get angry at them or perhaps we just want to distance ourselves from them, not showing them any kind of care or love or grace because of how hurt we are. But the potential to repay evil for evil is just far too great. And that's why we need to seek to love others as Christ has loved us, even they hurt us, and to trust that God will deal justly with them when Jesus returns. Practicing self-possession is being able to stand back from a moment, not letting the anger get the best of you, and seeking to deal with it when you're not so angry, when you're more calm, when you have more reason to think about what is the right and proper way. And even if in that moment the person you're trying to work with here doesn't respond, ultimately all you need to do is trust that God is still good and that God is just 
and that he sees every wrongdoing and it won't get swept under the rug because he will make every wrong right. We worship a God who is just and the justice of God is seen on the cross. The cross is not only an example of his love for us, the cross is an example of his justice because sin is something that could not be swept under the rug. Sin had to be dealt with. And sin is something that rightly angered God. So on the cross, we see his justice being played out. And so we can trust that in moments where there's no clear course of action, no way of getting justice for ourselves, we need to relegate to God's justice and trust in him that when he returns, he'll make all things right again. Our ability to practice self-possession is not a demonstration of willpower. It's a demonstration of trust. Trust in God's justice as seen in the cross. And so when we seek to love others, seeking a greater good than our own justification, and when we practice self-possession, trusting in the justice of God, we will have the means by which we can channel our anger towards seeing justice done truly. As Rebecca de Young says, if anger is in for a fight, then to stay clear of being a vice, it must fight the good fight. Jesus demonstrates this good fight. As he, as we see in the Gospels, his anger arises in, in moments, but it arises out of a deep love for other people. And he practices self-possession, seeking a greater good, a greater justice than his own. And as we come to a close, I want to look at Mark 3 as an example of this. It says in the first verse, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. Jesus is angry. He is angry at this moment, and his anger is directed towards the Pharisees because of his love for this man. And you can see from their reaction that the Pharisees don't love this man. He's angry because they care more about justifying themselves, more about keeping the rules and being in the right, than about actually bringing restoration and life to this man, which was the whole point of the Sabbath, to bring rest and life and restoration to people, the people of God. And so what did Jesus do? Did he retaliate? Did he get angry and just yell an abusive language at the Pharisees, seeking to inflict damage on them no matter what? Letting them have it? No. Instead, he channels his anger by healing the man. He loves him when no one else would. He doesn't place his love for this man above the pursuit of justice and what is objectively good. He does what is right in this moment 
according to the justice of God. He seeks a greater good, a greater justice than anger would lead him to. And notice how the Pharisees respond with the opposite kind of anger. The moment Jesus heals him on the Sabbath, they are angry and they immediately plot to kill him. Plot to do an unjust course of action led by their anger. Anger rooted in the love of the self acts with immediacy because all they care about is justifying themselves. But anger rooted and aimed at the love of others seeks a greater good. The restoration of people's lives. Seeing them come to know the grace and the love of God. That is the greater good that anger can be channeled towards. And what would it look like for us to become such a person? What would it look like if we can be, have a genuine love for other people? To practice self-possession and a deep abiding trust in God and that He is just. Some of you this evening are harboring anger in your heart. You might think yourself as just an angry person. I'm always angry on the road in the traffic. I'm always angry when I go to the shops and go to the mall. I'm always angry at work because I hate my job. You might think yourself, I'm just an angry person. Or perhaps you're someone here tonight who actually has deep anger because someone in your life has hurt you. Someone has done great damage to you or someone you care about and you can't think of another way to respond. You're just angry. And the only way to get justice is to remain angry. What if this evening you could change all of that by changing what you love? What if you could grow in trust for God that He is a just God and that there is a greater good to pursue, a greater justice to have by practicing self-possession and seeking the other person's good? seeing the world through the lens of grace and not through the lens of your anger. Not ending up feasting on your own skeleton, but showing life and love in the way you respond. The band's going to come up and they're going to lead us in our last set of songs. I just want to say there's so many ways we can begin to show love to other people when we struggle to do it ourselves. The smallest things can grow a heart to love other people. If there's someone at work that frustrates you, let me encourage you, buy them coffee, buy them lunch. If there's someone here tonight at church or someone a part of our community who you struggle to love and who are angry at, the best thing you can do is serve at church and serve them. Join me at Wash Up. Serve and clean up their plates. When you begin to do these little practices of love, you will begin to see the world through grace and not the world through anger. You begin to see that people are broken just like you. People are angry because they are broken people. And there's all kinds of reasons why they do wrong things against us. But when we practice this love, we're able to seek a greater good, a greater justice. And as we come to worship tonight, I want to do something else. I want to invite people here tonight who are angry. 
You're angry for various reasons, as I just mentioned, and I want to pray for you. You have to tell me what it is you're angry at. It could be something very small. You could be just be seen as an angry person, or maybe there is someone in your life you're just immensely angry at, and you don't know what to do. I just want to pray for you. I want to pray that you will grow in your love for other people, that you will seek grace and seek a greater good, and that you will learn to practice the art of self-possession. I'm going to be praying for myself, just to let you know, as well. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to worship our God, who's a God of grace and mercy. We're going to sing to the one who loved us, even though we deserved of his wrath and anger. And as we sing, if you feel moved by God's Spirit, I want you to come forward, receive prayer, and know that there's a better and a greater justice that's pursued. Let's sing.